Hello and welcome to Motorsport Week's F1 podcast series, Motorsport Speak, the show where we discuss about the latest things happening in the world of Formula One. Tom Kenshaw host with Ed Spencer and Jordan Haynes. We build up to the Mexico City Grand Prix this weekend. Can Max Verstappen edge closer to the title with a ninth win of the season? Or can Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton fight back as it is a race where they simply need to win? Hello, Ed. Hello, Jordan. How are we? And you know, Formula One arriving in Mexico City this weekend after years' absence. Ed, it's going to be quite um, quite a venue. I imagine, I imagine it's going to be quite a turnout, actually, um, at the circuit, the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez. What are you looking out for this weekend, and are you looking forward to it? I'm definitely looking forward to the Mexican Grand Prix this year. The atmosphere will be electric because for the first time in years, the Mexican people have a chance to see one of their own win their home Grand Prix. Sergio Perez is going to be the hot favourite to win this weekend. And really, I will also be looking out to see whether Red Bull can maintain their advantage that they picked up from Cota around the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez. There are also fights down the field. McLaren and Ferrari are still separated by very little. And really, it's um, as for Mercedes, it's win or bust. If they don't win at Mexico, then it could be hard to, to beat Red Bull at, Red, at, at uh, Interlagos. And we don't, still don't know anything about Qatar. So an interesting... An interesting weekend, that's for sure. It's going to be certainly one which may determine the course of the championship going into the final, going into the final uh, four rounds of the season after we leave North America. Jordan, um, Austin proved to be another intense round. What will Mexico City bring um, from your perspective? You know, it's a shorter race track for the drivers and, and I'm sure on a track that has very high altitude, you would think that Red Bull are going to do very, very well there. Yeah, going into this weekend, it seems to be Red Bull the favourite. Um, and you can understand why. They obviously won last time out at um, Kota. And I think they're set to do the same again this time. Um, and I'm just looking forward to the atmosphere and just seeing the battle, what we have got going on. We've been truly spoiled by it. Um, and I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. Mm. And I perfectly agree. And the atmosphere, as you say, is going to be electric, um, especially for Sergio Perez, who will be racing in front of his home crowd for the first time in Red Bull colours. It could be his best chance of a race victory. Um, you know, he's already won two in his career, but to do it on home turf this time would make it even more special for him. So the best of luck to Checo there. We'll run down on the Drivers' Championship then, going into Mexico City the last of five races in six weekends. Max Verstappen has a 12-point lead over Lewis Hamilton, 287.5 over 275.5 minutes. Valtteri Bottas in third on 185. He's 35 clear as Sergio Perez in fourth on 150. Lando Norris is in fifth on 149, so just a point behind the Mexican. With Charles Leclerc in sixth on 128. Color Science is seventh on 122.5, ahead of Daniel Ricciardo in eighth on 105. Pierre Gasly in ninth, on 74 and Fernando Alonso in 10th on 58. Esteban Ocon, his Alpine teammate, is 11th on 46, followed by Sebastian Vettel in 12th on 36. Then it's Lance Stroll in 13th with 26, followed by Yuki Tsunoda in 14th with 20. George Russell is 15th with 16, Nicholas Latifi in 16th with 7, then it's Kimi Raikkonen in 7th with 6. Antonio Giovinazzi has one point in 18th. He's yet to score since Monaco, Mick Schumacher, Robbie Kubica, and Nikita Maspin have still yet to get a point so far this year. In the Constructors' Championship, Mercedes have a 23-point lead over Red Bull. The gap 
well, the Sailor Gap is 23. It's 416 and a half, playing 437 and a half. Now it's McLaren in third on 254, followed by Ferrari in fourth on 250 and a half. So it's just a three and a half point gap between the two teams battling for third place in the constructors. There's Alpine in fifth on 104 and now and uh, Alvatore in sixth on 94. So it's a 10 point gap between those two as well. Aston Martin in seventh on 62, Williams in eighth on 23, Alfa Romeo in ninth with seven and has the only team yet to score a point so far this year. It's unlikely that they will, but who knows? If we get some form of wacky race or something like that, they could well all of a sudden snatch a point from somewhere. So the championship, Ed, um, we were discussing about it last week in terms of, you know, it's 12 points. It could so easily extend to either maybe 18 or 19, or Lewis could maybe get that gap back down to six or five, or even be the championship leader by the end of the Mexico City Grand Prix. It's still fairly close. So as we've seen throughout this championship, it has gone like a seesaw. Uh, one minute Hamilton is ahead, next minute Verstappen is ahead. There's never really been a clear lead until seemingly now when Verstappen is starting to pull away after his good result in Turkey and his win in the United States. It's still fairly close, I would say. I mean, 12 points is no real lead uh, to have in the championship. So there's a lot to play for with two tracks that no one really knows that much about, I should say five venues, um, you know, five rounds to go. There's still two venues that no one really knows about. So it's very much on a knife edge. And then when you have these little battles down the mid-table mid of the Constructors' Championship, it really adds a bit of spice into it. But it isn't the case for Verstappen. He is in the driving seat. He doesn't have to do... He doesn't have to win every race purely and simply, whilst Hamilton really could do winning every race uh, up until the season finale in Abu Dhabi, Verstappen can keep chipping away and keep adding and adding to his points tally as long as he finishes ahead of Hamilton. That's all he needs to do. And with Perez in having a recent resurgence in form, he could potentially play a hand in this championship race as well, although we shouldn't exclude Valtteri Bottas as well, who is a very capable driver on his day. Most certainly. So it could be a four-way battle for the race victory of the weekend, or if Ferrari get it together or McLaren can get it together maybe they could you know threaten those top two teams in Mexico City and, and don't forget the top four teams finished in the top eight positions um, last time out in Austin which is not too often we've seen um, this season. Jordan it's a 12-point gap in the championship and like Ed said we've still got Qatar and Saudi Arabia to come tracks so that nobody really knows who has the quickest card there. We've got Abu Dhabi which has been undergoing some configuration changes. Mexico City and Brazil, you know, for Red Bull, as far as the Constructors' Championship is concerned, you know, it's a 23-point gap. This is a good opportunity for them to really claw it back, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, Red Bull will be wanting to use Sergio to get them points closer to Mercedes. Um, but then... Again, Mercedes will be wanting to use Bottas. It's now the play of the second drivers coming in and affecting this all. And it could change things drastically, including with Ferrari and McLaren on where they place. Um, so it'll be interesting battle to see who comes where on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I personally think that um, Rebel should be up there, if I'm honest with you. And... Mercedes have been um, developing all the time, as you can imagine they would do, this trick suspension thing, which we'll go on to um, a little bit later on. So the circuit itself, the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez that hosted its first 
Formula One World Championship Grand Prix in 1963. It's a 71-lap race of a circuit length of 4.3 kilometres. There are 17 corners, and the circuit itself is clockwise, and it's a tra racetrack that is 2.2 kilometres above sea level. There are three DRS zones, one on the pit straight, one in between turns three and four, and the other in between turns 11 and 12. So the circuit, which came back in 2015 under its layout, it's not changed since then, but it has had some hiatuses from the Formula 1 calendar, including last year, but thankfully it is back for this year. Now, when was the track built? Well, in 1959, the father of Mexico's most famous racing brothers, Ricardo and Pedro Rodriguez, was an advisor to Mexican president Adolfo Lopez Mateo and had a word in his boss's ear about building a racing circuit in Mexico City's Magdalena uh, Misihuca, if that's pronounced correctly, or Misihuca Sports Park, using the existing internal roads. El Presidente liked the idea and worked on the track was completed in under a year. So when was the first Grand Prix? Well, Formula One cars arrived in 1962 for a non-championship race, returning the following year for a proper Bonavida Grand Prix. That 1963 race was won by Jim Clark, while for the next few years, Mexico's Fiesta vibes meant it became the traditional season ender for Formula One. Mexico was welcomed back onto the F1 calendar in 2015. So, it's a great racetrack, Ed. I don't know if you've experienced it on the game itself, but, you know, it does put on a show. And I think the fact we've got this baseball stadium section being used now as like a theatre of entertainment Formula One, that for me is the heartbeat of the event itself. Absolutely. Um, I couldn't agree more with you. It's the, it's the hub where all the fans congregate around to watch the cars blast into the section and blast out. It's a, it's a very tricky circuit uh, because there's a, a long a very long straight and then you've got a set number of tight and twisty corners and a fast right left right section it's a really tricky circuit it's not as tricky as what it was back in the 80s and 90s when it was fearsome but it's a very good replica and it's a it's a nice track uh, to race on and to drive on especially when you're on a video game um whether it's you know the best circuit for for racing that's still up for debate but it's a good circuit for one to come back to. I think it's going to be a more exciting race than what we've had maybe in the past. Um, but I think also for the fact that it'll also be a sellout because it'll be a homecoming for Sergio Perez. And, you know, all the pressure may be on him, but I think the Mexican F1 fans would be very happy to welcome the sport back after a year away because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Jordan, you look at the layout itself, you know, the 17 corners in there. Um, any parts in there that stand out to you? Because obviously there's the Peraltada um, section, which if, if you remember back in up until, I think from 86 to 92, it was a very long sweeping right-hander that was very, very bumpy that caught drivers like um, Ayrton Senna out. And I think Nigel Mansell had a bit of an off or came close to going off there one year. And of course, there was that overtake from Nigel Mansell on Gerhard Berger in 1990, right around the outside. Um, it's a lovely racetrack, isn't it? Yeah, I think we could see some good overtakes, but I think the straight will play a massive part in the weekend. Um, I don't think many will happen down it just because of how long it is and the cars with the downforce and stuff. So I'm not expecting a lot of overtaking, but 
I'm expecting when there is some that they'll be good and they won't disappoint the fans there to see. Most certainly not. And I've always enjoyed the um, the long pit straight, especially when you're using DRS to get in, uh, in front of the car ahead. And of course, the stadium section. We can't forget that. Let's go on some news, guys. And it's to do with Williams and Jack Aiken, as the young Brit is to get a Williams practice run in Abu Dhabi. So Jack Aiken is set to receive his first Formula 1 outing of the 2021 season in free practice for the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Aiken has been Williams' reserve driver since 2020 and stepped in to replace Mercedes-bound George Russell at last year's Sakir Grand Prix. Aiken, who previously held a test role with Renault, was set to drive the FW43B at some point in 2021, and that has now been confirmed for the season-ending round in Abu Dhabi. The Britain has competed in Formula 2 and the GT World Challenge this year, and it was in, it was in the latter series that he sustained injuries in a high-speed accident in Belgium in July. He returns to competitive action in the series earlier this month. Aiken is set to be the second Williams tester to sample the FW43B in practice after Roy Nassani's trio of outings earlier in the season. Williams has already confirmed that it will field a lineup of Nicholas Tifi and Alex Elbon for 2022. The outfit, which also has two-time W Series champion Jamie Chadwick under its wing, last week recruited former three frontrunner Logan Sargent to its academy. So Aiken, um, we've not spoken too much about him this season, Ed. There was that accident that he had at Spa that was mighty, uh, a very mighty shunt, it has to be said, and he had to remain on the sidelines for a bit. But it's good to see that he's, um, he's back up and running and he's going to be given a go in a Williams in Abu Dhabi uh, next month. A very justifiable reward after a pretty horrendous 2021 season, particularly when he got injured at Spa. He looked to be much happier back in the racing car when he came back a few weeks ago in Catalonia. You also got to think that he didn't have a particularly good time in F2 with HWA Race Lab. That didn't turn out uh, too well. So this is a good reward for Jack uh, Aiken, considering you know what he's had this year. So I'm, I'm happy to see him back in a Grand Prix car, even if it's only for one FP1 session and not for an actual race, which he was supposed to do last year. He was supposed to do last year's uh, Abu Dhabi Grand Prix uh, weekend if Russell was called up again for Mercedes, but Hamilton came back and Russell went back to Williams. So. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. What will happen to him next year, I'm not quite sure because of the fact Logan Sargent's coming in. Chadwick is now a two-time W Series champion and is looking to move up the table, move up the ranks and go to potentially F3. So I hope this isn't a farewell for Jack. Um, but I just hope that he get, keeps it out of the wall and does a good job. That's all he's got to do. It's all he can do, Jordan. Um, do as good of a job he can, no matter what series it's in, whether it's in Formula 2 or in the GT World Challenge, but um, I don't suppose what his plans will be for next year. It, I doubt it's going to be Formula 2, so I'd imagine sports cars would be what it is, but it's good to see him you know, back in a Formula 1 car next month. Yeah, definitely. I think there will be some people watching him just in case if he doesn't get retained by Williams, then another team may just want to snatch him up. Um, but yeah, I think he'd go into cars I don't think F2 will be for him next year, which is a shame, but it's it's what happens. Mm -hmm. So Jack Aiken will be in the Williams FW43B in Abu Dhabi on, in FP1, I should think, on the 10th of December. From Jack Aiken to Liam Lawson, so another F2 driver who is set to make an F1 test. He's made an F1 test in Abu Dhabi. So Red Bull Junior Liam Lawson is set for his first official outing in Formula 1 machinery in December's post-season test in Abu Dhabi. 
Lawson, who's at the age of 19, is set to test Alberto's AT02 at the Yas Marina circuit following the season-ending Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Lawson claimed victory on his Formula 2 debut this season and currently holds eighth place in the championship with two rounds remaining in Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi. He has also completed a full-time programme in DTM this season and only missed out on the title following a controversial conclusion to the championship fight. AlphaTauri has already confirmed its 2022 driver lineup of Pierre Gasly and Yuki Tsunoda. Lawson's Formula 2 teammate Yuri Vips is expected to drive for Red Bull Racing during the test as he did at last year's corresponding test. The test, in which next season's Pirelli tyres are trialled, allows Formula 1 teams to evaluate young drivers with official in-season running having been ditched due to the pandemic. McLaren will run Patero Ward in its MCL 35M after he delivered two victories in this year's IndyCar Championship. So Liam Lawson getting a go at in an avatar this time. And I suppose it doesn't matter which team's car it is, it's the, it's the experience. And I think he's struggling to hear us. Uh, I, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, cool. Um, I was just saying that, you know, with Liam Lawson getting a chance in an Alphatari, um, no matter what team it is, um, you know, it's good to see him getting the mileage that he deserves. And what's been, you know, an interesting campaign for him for Lawson, and it's likely he will be on the Formula 2 grid next year with a much bigger calendar, you know, 14 rounds next year. But how do you feel he'll get on in this um, in this test? I think he'll get on pretty all right. Um, he adapted well to DTM. He's adapted well to Formula 2. Okay, results may have not gone his way, but Lawson adapts to cut new cars very quickly and is extremely quick. And at the age of 19, he has a bright future ahead of him. Um, the AlphaTauri run is really just a case for, Alpha, for the team to evaluate him for a potential race seat in 2023 if Sonoda or Gasly move on. And I don't think there's really any pressure on him. He just needs to get, a good, get the job done, have a good session, a couple of days under his belt, and really just get the feel of what a Formula 1 car is actually like. I think that's what uh, Albert Marker wants him to have, a, a feel for the, the speed and the G-force of an F1 car. It's going to be an interesting test as well with the fact that Vips is going to Red Bull, O'Ward is going to McLaren. So the whole test itself is going to be a real glimpse into the future of who may be on the grid in 2023-2024. We do not know. But yeah, it's good news for Lawson. It's good news for New Zealand Motorsports. And above all, it's great news for the Red Bull Junior Academy because it shows another young star of theirs is potentially on the way, of test, on the way to testing Formula 1 machinery. And... Mm-hmm. Um- Lawson testing the Alvatari and Jordan is good news for him and getting the test was um, very much deserved in there he's part of the Red Bull Junior programme anyway and that will help him um, with his confidence boost going into next year and who knows by this time next year he could be a Formula 2 champion. Yeah I think um, it's obviously great news for him I think he fully deserves it and he just He's got to show people what he can do. Um, like Ed said, he adapts to cars very well, as we've seen this year. Um, so I think it'll be a good thing. I think he'll um, do quite well in it. And I think it's, he's definitely one to watch for the future. I'd imagine so too. And um, Lawson will be in the Alphatari um, in Abu Dhabi with Yuri Vips, his teammate at Carlin this year. Not, not Carlin, um, High Tech, I should say. He's, um, he's in the Red Bull um, car for the postseason test in Abu Dhabi. We're going to go on some technical insight, because I said we'd go over it, wouldn't I? And it's to do with Mercedes' trick suspension that could be the key 
to beating Red Bull. So the duel between Mercedes and Red Bull is one of the most exciting of recent Formula One seasons. With such tight margins, small technical tweaks are making the difference on track and the momentum at the last race in Texas swung in Red Bull's favour. This year has been a hotbed of technical drama with a few flashpoints such as flexible rear wings, rake changes and tyre pressures and now the magnifying glass has moved back to Mercedes with its recently introduced rear suspension design. After a showdown in Turkey, Red Bull team boss Christian Horner highlighted how their rival's car has returned to being the undisputed king of straights, attributing this improvement initially to the power unit before turning their attention to the movement of the rear suspension. Horner referred directly to the fact that Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas's car uses a variable setup in a straight line, acting on the rear suspension. The W12 lowers significantly at high speeds, effectively cancelling the rake angle. The, the substantial reduction of the rake at high speeds reduces the frontal dimensions that the car offers to the air in order to reduce the drag to the benefit of top speed. The dynamic setup on the straights is in itself a completely normal practice in F1. As speed increases, a car equipped with offset wings undergoes an ever greater downward thrust, undergoing a natural change in ride height. Given that all cars are subject to this phenomenon, what stands out is that Mercedes has been able to exploit this more effectively than others. Since the beginning of the season, the W12 has been using more loaded rear rings than, its, than those of its direct competitor, Red Bull. The latter, on the other hand, stands out for being a car capable of generating a lot of downforce from high efficiency components such as the floor and diffuser, thus managing to have a lot of grip when cornering without overloading the wings. The W12, a single-seater designed to work with a lower rake than Red Bull, needs more load from the wing in order to perform better on the rear tyres. The fact of having to use more wing has often proved to be Mercedes' downfall this season, with the black arrow slower in the high-speed corners than the RB16B. In Turkey, though, this wasn't the case, and from the onboard cameras directed at the rear wing, it became clearer how the rear suspension is compressing into the third element lowering the entire car far greater than expected. Anything that is considered active suspension, like on the famous Williams of the early 90s, is not allowed under the, under the regulations. But as the behaviour is purely mechanical in nature, is deemed allowable, it is just more pronounced than, on, uh, than, an, than an other single-seaters on the F1 grid. Mercedes appeared to be running a softer setup at the rear to achieve this, and although Red Bull expressed unhappiness with it, have opted not to take any action, believing it to be a, a completely legal. We don't feel that is we don't feel that it is illegal. No, said Horner. It's something that has been used historically. We've seen it being used by then in the past. But obviously, we what we saw in Turkey was quite an extreme version of it, which that circuit seemed to allow. However, this trick that the Brackley team would have found isn't as advantageous on all tracks compared to Turkey. In Austin, it was less evident, and the team itself diminished its importance. According to Mercedes, there will be circuits where the advantage that could be gained would be minimal, such as Mexico due to the thinner air and Brazil. It should, however, be more evident in Jeddah and Abu Dhabi, which could perhaps be the decisive race for the fight for the driver's cycle. Red Bull's car does not behave too differently on, does not behave too differently on the straights. The higher rake angle of the RB16B means that the car designed by Adrian Neary has been specifically designed to go towards a more neutral angle at high speeds, just like the Mercedes. 
at the kinematic level, the W12 suspension seems to work in such a way that the change of attitude is not uniform, but more sudden once a certain speed range has been exceeded and it's this point that Mercedes must discover through its setup. A very interesting insight there, Ed. Um, I don't know what your thoughts on all of that. Um, it's quite, an in, uh, quite a very internal look on how Mercedes go about their suspension, um, like in terms of how it affects the rear tires when it's going along the straight. Sometimes you see the suspension moving up and down. As you well know, active suspension is not allowed in Formula One. You know, it was banned, I think at the beginning of 1994, um, before, you know, around the time when Ayrton Senna moved from McLaren to Williams. How have you seen the technical side of things affect both Mercedes and Rebel in terms of how they've gone about the race weekend? Well, I think the re Mercedes are trying new things to catch up to Red Bull in terms of the gap, considering that Red Bull had the better car in the first half of the season. So the engineers at Brackley have decided that they need to come up with something completely new. And this passive suspension, or as I think it is, it's slightly active suspension, I wouldn't say it's as similar as its 1990s counterpart. Um, you know, it seems to be working because it's making, it's giving Mercedes that advantage in the straights and in the corners. However, at the moment, Mercedes still uh, behind in the drivers, although they're still ahead in the constructors. So it's, it's mixed so far. I think with Red Bull saying they're not going to complain, I think that says it all, it's legal, it's fine. It's not like DAS, which was so heavily talked about before the start of the season, was duly postponed because of the pandemic uh, kicking off. Um, you know, I, I just think it's another, it's another idea by Mercedes that has worked. And it's interesting. It is very interesting to see the suspension flex during the race because we've seen in the past the flexi wings that Red Bull once had in 2010. It now seems the tables have turned. But it is a very interesting... Uh, a new innovation. I'm keen to see what it's going to be like in Mexico and in Brazil, in particular, to see how it handles the bumpy layouts. Mm -hmm. And the theory behind this um, sort of technical insight, Jordan, is that you know having a high speed rake means less downforce, whereas with a low speed rake, it means more downforce has been generated. Which I think on a track like Mexico City, you've got that long pitch straight, which you do need to very much consider about along with the high-speed corners, you know, the sort of S's section before you get into the baseball stadium section. But there's also the other circuits like Interlagos as well and all the other tracks you've got to consider. Yeah, I think no one knows how it's going to work at the next few tracks apart from Mercedes because they can use their simulator. So Red Bull might be thinking for the worst, um, but it actually may benefit them if it doesn't work. Um, but I think the Mercedes have been very clever about this and can have tried to find something to gain on Red Bull. And at, well, it's kind of working, but it's probably not working they, the way they wanted it to. Um, so I'm looking to see how it does this weekend. I mean, I have no, I'm no expertise when it comes to um, um, aerodynamics, but. Um, it, you know, it's, it's ever growing, you know, there's going to be teams finding new ways to find performance without actually breaking the rules and, you know, until it's, you know, put in the regulations that you can't use it or you can use it, you know, it's, it's another one of those things that Mercedes are finding and that Rebel will be trying to either replicate or go down their own way where they, they may find something like a, a different kind of rake, you know, like a low speed rake or a 
high speed rail or something in the middle that will benefit them more. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. Do let us know um, if you have any insight on the sort of the, the technical side of things um, with these current Formula One cars with either the Mercedes or the Rebel or, or another machine. From that to Singapore, because the F1 pit building for it is to be used as a COVID-19 facility. So the pit building of the Marina Bay Street Circuit in Singapore is to be used as a temporary facility to treat COVID-19 patients. Singapore is currently encountering a rise in case numbers and has extended restrictions on social interactions, though more than 80% of its citizens have been vaccinated. Formula One raced in Singapore from 2008 through 2019, with the city holding the championship's first night race, but has not visited since the outbreak of the pandemic. The event is currently out of contract, but has been listed as the 18th round on next year's calendar on October the 2nd, subject to a commercial agreement being reached. The large pit building, which is typically home to the paddock club, other hospitality units and the media centre will be utilised to help deal with the rise in cases. The government has been exploring venues that can be used as temporary COVID-19 community care facilities and community treatment facilities, read a statement supplied by Singapore Tourism Board's Director of Sports, Ong Ling Lee. The F1 pit building has been identified as a suitable temporary venue as it has ready facilities and is not used for F1 race activities this year. In 2020, the F1 pit building was also used as a temporary COVID-19 swab test facility. Other Formula One venues were utilised for medical assistance during the early stages of the pandemic, including Monza and the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez, venue for this weekend's Mexico City Grand Prix. So I don't know if, how long this is going to be around, Ed, but you know the pit building in Singapore, which hasn't been able to host a Grand Prix this year or last, we've just got to hope it's not there for too long for when they do need to set the track up for, and for Formula One when it hosts its round at the beginning of October next year. It's wise from the Singapore uh, government to use what they can in terms of facilities. I think it's the wise decision to, to do that. Um, I, I hope it isn't around for too long. I, I really don't because I believe Singapore is one of the, the more atmospheric races on the calendar and brings uh, an element of uniqueness by having a night race, by being in a night race. So I hope that it isn't um, too long, but I can understand why uh, the Singapore administration are taking up this pit lane uh, area, get as much space as they can, get as many patients in, and to prevent the spread of the virus across the country. So it's a wise decision. Let's just hope that by July, August, when they begin to set up the track, that it is no longer needed. But again, they need to take all precautions against the virus. So I can understand why the, the, uh, the Singapore government has uh, made that, has decided to use the pit lane building, because it is very wide and very spacious. Mm -hmm. Jordan, I think what's worrying me at the moment is um, is Singapore's contract because I can't quite remember what the contract is up until because I thought it'd be until the end of um, this year unless they've um, extended um, a deal on it. But um, yeah, if it doesn't go ahead next year, what next for Singapore? Um, I'm not too sure. It's a, it's a tough one to call. I think if they and don't end up hosting a Grand Prix next year, then I'd personally don't see us returning at least for not a little while um but I, d I don't know what could replace it there's pe there's quite a lot of drivers who like Singapore and wouldn't want to see it leave the calendar um and that's the same with the fans as well so it's it's a bit of a tough one to say what could possibly happen but you automatically automatically think of the worst when it comes to it mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I won Singapore on the calendar. And one thing I have noticed in the last few weeks is that um, I think it could be undergoing um, some circuit configurations as well. So, you know, where Nelson Piquet Jr. had that infamous accident that helped Fernando Alonso win the race in 2008. I think that um, is going to be taken off. And instead, it's from turn 14 and through the King of 15, you go straight past the bridge rather than going under it. So the circuit length will be slightly shorter, but it's going to be quite a... It's like another straight, if that makes sense. Not as long as the one from turn five to turn seven, but a decent far enough straight to help the car close in on the car ahead. So I think Ed is just trying to make up his mind in terms of which section I'm on about. Um, but either way, you know, that's something um, further down the line anyway. I know what section you mean. Um, it's, it's in the final section. And if they're going to run over the bridge, it's going to be fantastic to watch. Uh, watching these cars duke it out on the bridge. Um, I will also just chime in with my view. I've, hope Singapore is back on the calendar next year it's it's a one of a kind race and you know the country really gets involved in it it's a great time for Singaporean businesses to cash in on Formula One being in town and you know if it doesn't happen in this year well I think they'll be given one more year maybe 2023 and then if they're not ready by 2023 maybe 2024 we won't see Singapore back on the calendar until maybe a few more years down the line. So it's not quite for me, make or break with Singapore, but with new venues trying to jump onto the F1 calendar, Singapore really could do with being on the calendar next year. And then at worst, 2023. Yeah, I, I perfectly agree. You know, they can't just sort of string along to a calendar and, and then not host it, you know. Um, you know, with other events like Kyle Army, which could be coming onto the calendar soon. You've got Agora Drive, which is replacing um, Sochi and possibly Las Vegas. No, Ed Putz doesn't like the idea of that, most certainly not judging by the look on his face. But that's um, something for the next few years. Um, so hopefully Singapore will go ahead with its event next year. But if not, um, one of the sort of stand-in races um, will be called in for 2022, i.e. Turkey, which Ed went to this year. So we've got a question coming in from um, at Red 5 He's coming and saying, is Perez looking forward to this race, Mexico City that is, this weekend, or is he dreading potential embarrassment? Who wants to answer that first? We'll ask Jordan this one first. Um, oh, that's tough. I'm, I'm a bit 50-50. Um, I've been thinking about it because obviously it's, he hasn't been here for, two years so and with with a good car he will want to do well but with the pressure will it get to him or will it make him want to do even better but then will Red Bull allow that so there's a lot of unanswered question but I think he will be looking forward to it yeah Ed what do you reckon delight well I don't think he'd be dread. I don't think he'd be enjoying the extra media commitments. I don't think he'd be dreading the pressure, uh, or the being having very little uh, free time uh, over the weekend. But I think he will be looking forward to this weekend because this is his first real chance of winning the Grand Prix, winning his home Grand Prix, in what is, in my view, the best car on the grid. So, you know, I, the pressure isn't really on him. All he needs to do is get through Q3, get into Q3 get a top 10 starting slot, maybe third, fourth on the grid, or even pole for that matter, and then get a podium and the weekend can be considered as a success. But if he gets eliminated early on in qualifying or has to take a penalty, 
you know, it's going to be a very tough afternoon's work. And, you know, I think Perez really would want a podium for his fans who have come all over Mexico to see their man win or get on the rostrum because they've waited so long for a Mexican to win a Grand Prix. Now they want to see a Mexican win their home Grand Prix. And I don't think he'll be really dreading it. He won't be thinking, oh my God, I've got to, you know, it's my home Grand Prix. He'll be feeling the extra pressure that comes with being a home driver on home ground. Every driver feels it. Uh, but I think he is, I think he's well used to this kind of extra little pressure that he gets by being the only Mexican on the grid. So I think he'll be looking forward to it. The only thing I don't think he'll be looking forward to is doing the extra little commitments there and then which come with the local media turning up uh, for their one and only Grand Prix of the year. Mm -hmm. And I, I think Perez will get on fine. You know, if he gets up there in the top five um, on the grid, then he's got a chance of finishing on the podium. I think if he finishes on the podium, that will be counted as a success because it's a long time since a Mexican has finished on the podium um, on home turf in Mexico City. So best of luck to Perez this weekend. And I, I'm confident that he will do well there. Now let's answer another question. Luke Buckles coming in saying, uh, will Mexico City's lower air density play a part in the championship battle? We'll ask you first this time, Ed. Yeah, I think so, because the power units are very much diff are very different. Um, the Mercedes power units are a little bit less uh, reliable than the Honda uh, power units. So that may play a potential part in deciding the championship because it, because of the fact that maybe one of the Mercedes uh, power units goes up in smoke or one of the Red Bull uh, Honda power units go up in smoke. I think yet, yeah, I think as well, the fact due to the, due to the main straight being extremely long and there being a long run down into turn one, it will punish the engines a little bit more than what it would be at the track, let's say, like Spa or Austin, where the straights weren't as long. It's almost similar to Monza in terms of the straights. Um, you know, this weekend. So, yes, I think the air density will put pressure on the power units. It may decide, it may have a, an impact in the championship uh, fight, but uh, let's hope for all sake that um, none of this happens and we don't have engines exploding left, right and centre. Yeah, and that's what caught Rebel out in 2017 and 18 with Daniel Ricciardo, um, Jordan, and the, God, I hope it does not happen to either Max or Sergio. Yeah, I think there'll be... Um saying a few words if it does happen but I can't see it happening to Red Bull um, hopefully not to Mercedes either but no one knows how this weekend is going to go um, we haven't been here for two years so there's no new data um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see on what happens with the engines mm. Yeah, and I think it caught Torosso out as well. Ed. 2017 with uh, Brendan Hartley, I think it was. And uh, that was another one. Yeah, it was Brendan. Yeah, Brendan Hartley. Um, and I think Rebel had a bit of a go with, um, I think it was Renault. Um, I think it was Ferrari. Or I think it was Ferrari, but Torosso in 17 before they went to Torosso in 18. So, yeah. Although I think they had a go at Renault as well because Renault were, were with them until 2018. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think, yeah, because in 2016, Toro Rosso were using a year-old Ferrari engines. In 2017, they were using Renault. In 2018, they began using Honda. So, yeah, that's that was something back then as well. So reliability could be something that hits the teams or the cars um, come Sunday. And um, if you've got a question as well, which you want us to answer in future shows, don't be afraid to leave a comment in the um, 
in the section below the comment section that is below the YouTube channel if you are watching us on YouTube and uh, and we'll answer them um, during the next show and beyond so do get yourself involved if you wish to um, um, get us to answer a question for you it was a random I do apologize yes it was yeah in 2017 so uh, on to the Mexico City Grand Prix so in terms of the timings for it well considering that the UK moved back an hour at the weekend um, free practice one gets underway at 5.30 p.m. and FP2 begins at 9 p.m. FP3 begins at 5 p.m. UK time on the Saturday and then qualifying at 8 p.m. that evening and uh, 2 p.m. Uh, Mexico City time that will be and on Sunday the race begins at 7 p.m. UK time because the US will be I think the US and Mexico will be moving, moving back an hour as well um, that weekend correct me if I'm wrong by the way it's 7 p.m. UK time this Sunday so just take note of that in your diary it'll be a race being held in the evening just like it was in Austin last time out and um, yeah it's going to be an interesting one because it's the first of a triple header we've got Mexico then Brazil then Qatar these races are going to be really coming in now thick, thick and fast very tense triple header and for Red Bull it's a very winnable triple header because they've got two tracks where they've won out in the past Qatar may suit their car more than Mercedes. Mercedes, it's a must-win triple header, considering that they've got to win on two pro Red Bull circuits, and then they've got to hope that Qatar is more favoured to their car rather than Red Bull. So it is an interest. It's going to be a very interesting triple header. It's going to be a very uh, tense triple header, considering the championship ramifications uh, at the front. And really, it will be a matter of who blinks first and which of the second drivers does the better job. That also will be factored uh, in this last triple header of the year. Jordan, um, McLaren, Ferrari, we've not spoken about them yet in this podcast, but um, could, I of them, could either of them trouble Mercedes and Rebel this weekend? Um, the only way I see them doing so is if the second, if one driver of each team have a problem, um, crash, whatever. Um, that's the only time I can see them doing so. I think both Red Bull and Mercedes will be on their game. And even though Ferrari and McLaren will be as well, their fight is with each other, not with Mercedes and Red Bull. Um, they're all about third place in the constructors and both drivers of each team know that. So. I think we'll have interesting battles this weekend, but it will just be Ferrari and McLaren. Alpine are a team to look out for, Ed. Um, a double non-finish um, for them, which is the first time in a long time since the, since the Enstone Base team got neither car to the end of the race. I think the last team, uh, I think the last time they did so, was it, I think it was maybe in Japan 2019 where both cars were disqualified for it. But in terms of retirement, may well have been Bahrain 2019, but I can't remember, but it was a long time since the Enso-based team had retired with both cars. Yeah, it's, it, I can't remember the last time that um, you know, two Renault-Alpine cars had retired uh, together. Uh, usually the Alpines are very solid, very solid in terms of reliability, and they could do have a good result going into Mexico and Brazil, considering AlphaTauri are still in with a chance of wrapping up fifth in the Constructors' Championship. So that battle for fifth is another thing we should, is another one we should be looking out for, whereas AlphaTauri have been strong, but they could have got a bit more out of their car this year. 
Alpine have won a Grand Prix. It's not this year's Alpine is probably not as good as last year's Renault when Daniel Ricciardo was getting two podiums in it, and Esteban Ocon, of course, picked up that second place in the Sakir. So Alpine could do with a good result, considering that uh, Austin was a bit of a disaster. Disaster uh, considering Ocon got. Uh, taken out pretty much on the first lap and had to pit for repairs and of course Alonso had his penalty which gave him a mountain to climb on Sunday so Alpine need to score big time and they need to finish ahead of AlphaTauri who are still a dangerous threat for fifth place in the Constructors uh, race because it seems it seems between, between those two because Aston Martin have dropped out of the team uh, seem pretty much booked to finish seventh in the Constructors there's Aston Martin um, in there, Jordan, who could do with a good, good haul of points. But it's just very hard because the top four teams just seem to have this gap over the others. Yeah, it's obviously changed a lot since last year. Um, I don't really know what's gone on with Aston Martin, but they have still got good points. They've still got a somewhat good car. I just don't think this year has gone their way. Um, but th they do need a good set of points, but are they going to get them this weekend? And what what sacrifices will people make to get them, if that makes sense? So it, it'll, it'll be interesting, but I don't know if they can do it. Mm. We'll have to wait and see. I mean, I'd love to see Vettel and um, Stroll do well this weekend in the Nesta Martin, but it's just on some postcard whether they will be able to do very well there. And I, but I think it's going to be very difficult to finish ninth and tenth, considering that the top four teams are just occupying the top eight spots um, almost invariably. So we'll just have to wait and see on that one. But um, hopefully Vettel and Stroll can come out with a good result, as well as Alpine and Alvatore. But maybe even Williams can George Russell get into Q3 because it's a few races ago now since he managed to get into Q3 um, in the Williams. He did so in uh, in Sochi, didn't he? It was a couple of, it was a few rounds ago where he actually qualified third on the grid. So Williams could do with a good qualifying performance. Um, I think they'll do well to scrape a point, to be honest with you, in the race. And same with Alfa Romeo. Haas are just focusing on next year now. So they're not, they're not in the running at all, to be honest. We'll go on to some predictions then. We'll begin with Ed. Um, pole sitter for the Mexico City Grand Prix. Race winner, second and third, please. Well, I'm going to play a very imaginary site. I'm going to play a game here on Saturday night. And on Saturday afternoon, the whole of Mexico will be tuned in to see Sergio Perez secure pole position for the Mexican Grand Prix. However, on Sunday, they will be going home very disappointed because Max Verstappen will win the Mexican Grand Prix. Sergio Perez will be sadly told to move over and take second place. Uh, because of team orders, and I think Lewis Hamilton will finish third. Okay. Jordan, which route are you going down with your predictions here? Who is you going to be your pole sitter, race winner, second and third place finishers? Um, I'm switching it around from what Ed said. I'm saying Max to get pole, but also Max to win. Um, and then Lewis in second and Perez to be Okay, so the same top three in the same order as what it was in Austin. And to be honest, I'd be inclined to agree with that. I'm going to go Max Verstappen to get pole, Verstappen to win, Hamilton to second and Perez third. But um, it wouldn't surprise me if Lewis was as close to Max as what he was in Austin. Um, but he really, really have got to just throw everything at it now as Lewis. He hasn't got anything to lose at this point. But having said that, Mercedes have got a 23-point margin over Red Bull in the Constructors' Championship. 
we'll bring the show to an end guys thank you to everyone for tuning in and thank you to uh, girls as well for tuning in as you forgot to mention that jordan's with us um next week la will Shaw and jack berry will be with me to review this weekend's mexico city grand prix from ed jordan and all of us at motorsport week enjoy the racing this weekend and it's goodbye <laughs>